sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Wednesday, September 23rd. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, and as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And we'll try and put the fun and functional sports content at the same time. So if you're waking up early with us, at least you can get your day off to a good start. And Kev, we've got a series, I believe, in the Western Conference Finals because the Denver Nuggets, took game three over the Los Angeles Lakers 114 to 106 Kev remember yesterday when I told you about Jamal Murray's plus minus in 44 minutes and how it was so different well well Kev the the Nuggets win by eight and in 44 minutes Jamal Murray is plus eight What do you know? He goes 28 points, 12 assists, Jokic with 22 and 10. But to be honest, Kev, for me, it was the other guys. And they called them, quote unquote, the others during the telecast, right? But guys like Porter, guys like Morris, guys like Jeremy Grant really helped this dynamic duo in Denver. And they got the job done. We got a 2-1 series. We spent a lot of time, I think, talking about the Lakers and who's meant to be their third man. When you look at Denver, that same question Mm. is probably fair to apply. Paul Millsap hasn't been the most consistent performer for this team. People wanted it to be Michael Porter Jr., but that's kind of come back down, and he's just supposed to heat things up a little bit off the bench and not really do much more than that. Gary Harris has just simply not gotten to a level where you would call him that guy, Monte Morris, had a nice game, 14 points mm-hmm. off the bench. Tory Craig can plug in here and there, but Jeremiah Grant was the guy who answered the bell. And he answered the bell in a big way. I mean, 26 points on 7 of 11 shooting, yeah. 10 of 12 from the line. Like, Jeremiah Grant coming out with the superstar mm-hmm. free throw attempts. James Harden-esque from Jeremiah mm-hmm. Grant. Um, the, that really is the difference in this game, was they didn't just get a solid performance from an outside contributor, meaning not Jokic or Murray. They got a superstar performance from Jeremiah Grant. Yeah, uh, they absolutely did. And I guess the question is, for me, Kev, like, what's more sustainable? You know, finding this kind of random third contributor on the Denver side, or will it just be Jokic and Murray? And then on the other side with the Lakers, listen, you know, I mean, LeBron James, triple-double, 30, 11, and 10. Anthony Davis is there. He didn't, you know... I want to ask you about Anthony Davis, right? Like, he makes the big shot to win game two at the end, Mm -hmm. but he goes 0 for 4 from three-point land in this one. And I know, Kev, throughout the entire playoffs, right... 
You, a lot of other people, have been talking about the way Anthony Davis needs to play in order to be that kind of dominant force that LeBron needs as the Robin to his Batman. What what are you looking for from Anthony Davis? Is he doing what you think he needs to do in this series? Is it any different with a guy like Jokic on the other side? He's got to, like, play on both ends. Like, what's up with Davis? Do you think you're getting exactly what we need out of AD? I think AD in the first half was everything that you could ask for. And in fact, him not being on the court is what led to the wrong side of that run. As we welcome in the radio audience, especially those over there on the West Coast, the Mightier 1090, this is the early line. I'm Kevin Walsh alongside Dane Martinez. But I thought Frank Vogel really struggled to go away from the normal rotations. And I understand Hmm. that those normal rotations had them up 2-0 in the Western Conference Finals. But if things are going wrong, you have to be able to say, all right, we need to shift away. And he didn't. And Anthony Davis only came in at the halfway mark of the second quarter. And at that point, it was a 15, 16, 17-point Denver Nuggets lead. I mean, Anthony Davis went to the break with a positive plus-minus. And they were down 10. I mean, that felt almost impossible. And Anthony Davis ended up playing the entire second half. So that adjustment was there. But I think if you're Frank Vogel, you know, trying to keep the normal rotations, you now not only, in my opinion, ended up burning AD and playing him 43 minutes in this game, but you've now added an extra game to the series. So I think, and you saw AD was totally gassed down the stretch. Yeah, I think a lot he, of them were gassed at the stretch, Kev. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody looked gassed at the stretch. The, the rebounding is the bigger concern because the Lakers were absolutely dominated on the glass. He will get his offensively. But I just thought right. from Vogel's perspective, in the early beginnings of this game, they needed Anthony Davis's offense. They, they needed him to kind of provide that punch. Nobody else really had it going. And he let... Rondo and Caruso tank the game in the first half, making the hole very, very, very large. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, though, is playoff Rondo showed up for a little stretch, right? In that furious Lakers comeback in the fourth quarter when they closed from 20, I think, all the way down to three. It was Rondo on the defensive end that was that spark. But you you mentioned the adjustments. I want to ask you about a defensive adjustment. It looks like the Lakers went to zones, different kinds of zones. They were in a 3-2. They were in a 1-3-1. They were in all sorts of zones. Talk to me about that adjustment, if you like it, and what is some of these things mean moving forward i'm gonna ask you that though kev collect your thoughts think about it and on the other side of the break i want to get into the x's and o's of this a little bit because we've got a 2-1 series jamal murray after the game said honestly he feels the nuggets should be up 2-1 and they would be if not for the anthony davis three right so talk to me about what do these teams need to do moving forward what are the adjustments at play we'll talk about that when we come back here on the early line SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on sports grade. Kev, we were talking about this Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets get a game. The Lakers are still up 2-1, you know, but game two was very close as well, right? A last-second shot. So, you know, we heard Jamal Murray say he feels comfortable and confident. He thinks the Nuggets are still in this series. But going to break, I asked you about this adjustment, about going to the zone. Um, can mm-hmm. you tell me, like, what do you think Vogel and the Lakers are hoping to get out of that? And do you think it's effective? Like, what are the adjustments here? Because, you know, the Lakers maybe have to do something based on the way the Nuggets looked the last, you know, game and a half, let's say. Yeah, you know, sometimes just even that kind of switch from a, a man defense to a zone defense forces you to be engaged. Because now as you're not just focused on one player, maybe you lose sight of help defense. You are focused on an area, and it keeps you uh, alert. And the Lakers have a lot of size when they can go to that. And length, more importantly, Anthony Davis, obviously, but Kuzma, LeBron, sure. Caruso, and Rondo uh, are, are all guys that – can get the job done on the defensive side of the ball. I think what did stand out a little bit as they went to that zone, and, you know, you said it, right, Dane, that, you know, playoff Rondo showed up for a bit. It does actually seem as if the Lakers are unbeatable if Rondo plays well. And they almost basically still won a game with only, like, eight good minutes from Rajon Rondo. Like, that's almost all they needed to come back from a 20-point deficit was Rondo not being awful. And then down the stretch, we got the offensive charge, clank three, game over. And that's just something that's really interesting to me as, you know, we've again, we've mentioned it on the Nuggets side, but on the Lakers side of who's going to be the third guy. And I do right. feel like the Lakers answer that question with multiple pieces. It's not always the same player. It might sure. be Kuzma, it might be Caldwell Pope, it might KCP. be Rondo, it might be Caruso, but it does seem a little bit as these playoffs continue to roll on that if Rondo does answer the bell and Rondo is going to play a good game as opposed to his team high minus 13 plus minus, that the Lakers yeah. will be able to roll the way they have for a lot of this postseason. You know, having LeBron James go for 30-point triple-doubles will certainly help, right? But I think that is a question I'm going to be looking at, Kev, because we said it on the Nuggets side, right? Who's number three? And yesterday, we saw guys like Morris and Porter and Grant step up, right? On another night, maybe it's Harris, maybe it's Millsap, right? And on the Lakers' side, who steps up? Maybe it's Caruso, maybe it's Playoff Rondo, maybe it's Kuzma, maybe it's KCP. But, I, you know, I know you are very heavy on the Lakers, and even in the way you're talking about it, right? Like how how the Lakers still could win a game even when they played this bad. But as we stand, it is 2-1 Lakers, and Game 4 will be later on this this week and I think that will be a linchpin game for the series but Kev we got a game four in the Eastern Conference playoffs tonight where the Boston Celtics who got game three to you know make this again a series they take on the Miami Heat now this series Kev each game has kind of had a familiar feel right where the Boston Celtics get out to a, a pretty sizable early lead, and then Miami is trying to walk them down. They were able to do so in games one and two. They were not able to do so in game three. I also believe that there is something different about the Boston Celtics now in this series, and I want to ask you about the impact. There's legitimately something different about these Celtics, and it's two words, Kev. Gordon Hayward. 
Talk to me now about the impact of Gordon Haywood rejoining the Celtics because we've talked about the top end talent on the Celtics, right? And listen, whether you want to put Hayward in that category or not, fine. But he's another guy you can't really switch off of. In defensive rotations, he's important, right? So talk to me about the impact that Hayward may have for this Celtics team and ultimately the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Hayward came back and played fine. Six points, four assists, five but Let me goals, ask you something, wait, Kev, before minutes. we keep going. Is it his stat line or, again, like what he does on the floor I mean, and how defenses one. have to respond? Okay. He's a plus one, right? So, I, I mean, he, he I don't think he came in and shifted all all tides. But, I mean, does he, he spread was, the floor more? Does he mean that you can't double as much? So maybe his stats aren't there, you, but it opens up, say, the Jalen Brown You'll have to space. respect a Gordon Hayward more. Okay. I think it provides the... Celtics with an opportunity for a mega small ball lineup where you're looking at Jason Tatum, maybe somewhat as the five. As the five. What does that unlock for this team, though, is a question I'm not sure I know the answer to. Because Bam Adebayo is not going to be caught out in space. Yeah, we'll, that, like the Heat welcomed that. They believe he can guard anybody on the perimeter. But down the other end, what is the response for Bam Adebayo? And in a game where the Miami Heat lost by 11 points, Bam finishes with 27 and 16, and he was a plus one. So I continue to look, though, at this point guard matchup here, Dane. Right? There was a couple of spots where Kemba Walker was being outplayed by Goran Dragic, and he showed up and had a real good game. 50% shooting from the field, 50% shooting from three, 21 points. You compare that to Goran Dragic, who only had 11 points, two of 10 shooting, and sticks out like a sore thumb. Minus 29. I mean, the next closest <clears throat> on the team was a minus 10. So right. we saw that point guard matchup shift drastically yeah. the other direction in this game. And what becomes really interesting is what does this series look like if these guys just even play one another to a bit of a stalemate, slight edge maybe to one side of that coin. Because right now it feels like it's been a little bit drastic to start this hmm. series. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's kind of where I go into the top-end talent of the Celtics piece, right? If Kemba Drogic is a wash, right? If someone else is a wash with, say, Jimmy Butler, right? Then I still got other studs, I feel like, on Boston. But, hey, I, I, I want to know what you think. The other thing I'm looking at, Kev, is this total. We're down to 210. Okay, and you know my thesis, as the playoffs go along, how defense gets better, it gets more half-court. These are two teams that we believe play good team defense. You got any thoughts on this total? It stands at 210, and, you know, it's taken overtime almost for things to go over on some of these games. Do you think we're going to get a continued tightening of uh, the way the game flow looks and the pace of these games? It's really tough to get a great grasp for this total. Now, the, the one thing, as I will say, is we're not down to 210. We're up to 210. The, okay. the number is, is starting to move. It's not drastic. It's still a low number. But last, I mean, more down throughout, like, the course and big picture of the whole playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, oh, sure, they sure. have been going down. That's maybe not in relation to game three. I understand, so I misspoke. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is the way the trend has been going across the NBA as we get deeper into the playoffs. Right, but I think that's why this total stands out so much in that this is a spot where we're actually seeing a total increase because okay. in the game that went to overtime, they still got it in regulation. Game number two, they did miss the number, but that was 
with a Boston Celtics team scoring, I believe it was 41. Very, very low amount of points in the second half. That was almost unimaginable. And then in game number two, it still gets over the number. So, and it got over the number kind of, you know, with some ease. So I look at this spot here, and that's when you have to ask yourself. Let me, let me put it to you this way, Dane. We haven't seen these teams since Saturday. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this game at all. I don't yeah. know what to make because even right, I said Gordon Hayward was fine. You're talking about how he can change the dimensions, and it's super valid. But he might be more than fine as this game, as this series is set yeah. to resume because right. he's, he's had another four days. It's a lot of time, lot of time <laughs> yeah. to get right. We've talked about it's almost. <laughs> I was going to say, if it's like if he was like two to three weeks, right? It's almost a week between game three and game four. You know, it's like it, that much further along. We even talk, though, about how the layoff, sometimes we can come and attack a team in the first quarter. Both these teams have a layoff here. It's just, yeah. that's why I look at this game, and whether it be side, whether it be total, I feel uneasy because of the layoff. And I think I'd rather try and play it live. The one mm. prop angle I will throw to you, and this is, yes. and sometimes you can play narratives in the props market. Jimmy Butler's not been good in this series. He's just not. Like, he needs to be much better for the Miami Heat to try and close this thing out against the Boston Celtics. And I'm just wondering if we get the Jimmy Buckets game. Points prop, maybe points, rebounds, assists, and look for him to try and do it all. Jimmy B needs to step up here in game number four. All right, fair enough. You know, I'm looking at those made threes by Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. They both stand at two and a half. Kev, one of them's making three or more, right? Could that be one of the we lay them both and we see what happens? I'll ask you that. We turn our attention to the NFL when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back in, everybody. Right here to the early line by everybody. We include our radio audience from around the country, especially the mightier 1090 out there on the West Coast. Thanks for waking up early with us on the early line. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh trying to give you everything you need. And, Kev, the dust has settled on week two. We had all the MRIs. We've made all the waiver claims. And so we need to start to turn our attention to week three. And I say this every single week, Kev, from a big picture angle. I want to remind everybody again, on Wednesday, you teams will release their first practice reports, their first injury reports. If players you have or players on your team that you care about and you see that they are limited today or even DNP today, do not go crazy. Okay, this happens a lot. What people need to look for is the trend line. If you get upgraded throughout the week and also, Kev, in this crazy season where we're starting to see, you know, some of these soft tissue injuries and things like that, I would not be surprised if a number of veterans especially get the kind of load management version in the NFL on the Wednesday practice report. So I just want to give that caveat to what some people are going to see coming out throughout the day today. Yeah, I, I think we're you know starting to get a little bit of a groove here now with uh, with football. I think we're kind of being reminded that 
You know, it's yeah. Monday. We have Monday night football. We leave Monday. All right, time to recap. Right. And now we're, we show up here on a Wednesday, and we're still, you know, kind of digesting the final pieces while looking ahead and tomorrow's uh, the next game. So uh, I find like we're that's the thing with football, right? Is a little rhythm. You, it just yeah, it just starts to normalize things a lot. And yeah, it's just now kind of systematic in the way we're going to be going about these things. And you know what's funny, Kev? I agree with you, right? And, and what's funny is when we were in the throes of the pandemic, right, when we were talking about what sports provided also was normalcy, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're, and we're, we're like, even though it was so unique and so crazy and we got bubbles and we got weird traveling procedures and we got people getting fined for masks and we'll talk about that, it does feel like we're starting to fall into the rhythm of the football season. And if you remember, Kev, week two was a bloodbath, right? So we have numerous occasions where teams have signed new players off the street and we start there in New York where the Giants have come to terms with running back Devontae Freeman. Okay, they're saying with incentive that contract could be up to $3 million. And I think that's ironic. Remember how he was looking for $4 million with some of the teams that he was talking to, whether it was Seattle, Philadelphia, Tampa, that were on the horizon? Well, now I think he gained leverage, obviously, because of the injuries around the NFL. And Devontae Freeman is a New York Giant. Now, I don't think, Kev, that it's going to matter at all for this week against the San Francisco 49ers. He's still got to, you know, like pass COVID tests, get into game shape, learn the playbook, all that stuff. But let's say, you know, from week four and beyond, do you think he'll be the lead back? Do you think he'll be a three-down back? Do you think he's fantasy viable? Do you think he can be you know, a portion of a reasonable facsimile to maintain a run game for the Giants. I mean, they already, we saw, don't have the best offensive line in the game. Yeah, I think it's fair to wonder how much will he actually bring to the table for this team yeah. outside of just being a name that we know. Deion Lewis is probably still going to be involved to a degree. You've mentioned Freeman's impact this week will probably be minimal at best and even over time while you while you would think right if you were to try and set a a a matchup bet between Deion Lewis and Devonta Freeman for uh overall carries the rest of the way there'd be you know a lot of carries that Freeman would lay towards the Deion Lewis end of that spectrum. I think what also interests me, Dan, and I, I'm very curious to hear how you think that this room will ultimately shake out, but what interests me from the Giants' perspective is they're 0-2, right? But yeah. they have a home game this week against a team that's super banged up. They're 0-2, and they were dogs in both of those games. The NFC East is described as, you know, the worst division in all the football. Wide open. I'm not telling you the Giants are going to win the division. What I'm telling you is the New York Giants, if they had aspirations to compete for the division title after two weeks, they should not feel as if those are gone. And I'm just curious if, you know, we look at this Devonta Freeman move as nondescript, and yet at the end of next week, if they are able to get that win against the Giants, how that then could potentially just change the entire perception of the situation. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question, right? Because, and we've seen this before, right? People come out of nowhere and play well, whether it be for short bursts or people coming on in and really being a relevant part of the team moving forward. So I think there is a universe where Devontae Freeman, you know, is not Saquon Barkley, right? 
but looks like a starting running back in the NFL. <laughs> you know what I mean? And looks like a reasonable starting running back in the NFL. However, what I would say, and this is why I gave cause for pause on all the Deion Lewis love on the waiver wire. If you remember, Deion Lewis was a waiver wire fugazi for me this week. Mm -hmm. And one was because I said, maybe they bring in someone else like a Devontae Freeman. And what do you know they did? But I think you also have to step back and remember, what was this to start off with, right? And, mm -hmm. and I believe that Giants offensive line is bad. Okay, so it, it was so bad that Saquon Barkley wasn't making hay on it, unless, again, you attribute it all to Bud Dupree and the Pittsburgh Steelers front seven. But we were wondering, right, which one was true, which one was, you know, uh, kind of something you can hang your hat on. And I think this kind of below the fold running back now who was out on the street for a reason, running behind what I still believe is a bottom five to ten offensive line does not make it, you know, a good situation for the Giants offense. We also have to remember that now Sterling Shepard, their number one wide receiver, has also been ruled out with a toe injury that he has. So I don't think it's good for the Giants overall. From a fantasy standpoint, I do believe that not this week, but probably in week four and beyond, Devontae Freeman could be a flex play at least um, if you need him in that way. And I would bet Freeman greater than sign Deion Lewis moving forward. I think Freeman on early downs, Deion Lewis as his normal role as a pass-catching PPR kind of threat. What else you got, Kev? I'm very interested to see if we see Devonta Freeman active this week, which yeah. I don't know if we're expecting that to be the case. What the props market looks like for this backfield then. And even what the props market would look like if he's not active. You know, we're going to have to follow those Giants reports very closely and I would probably yeah. argue to you, Dane, and, and I'm curious where this would land for you, is if Freeman is active, Deion Lewis yeah. would still likely provide the value in the props market because Freeman is coming in so yes. late for this week. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, if Freeman is active, right, I would – my initial lean would be under on Freeman and over on Lewis because the public would think more of Freeman than I think they should, right? Um, especially with four days being on the roster. And so I would pivot and look to Deion Lewis as the value for week three. That changes, obviously, moving forward. The, uh, the Giants were not the only team to bring a name we know into the fold yesterday. As you know, and we talked about it yesterday, the Denver Broncos are one of the teams that are tremendously beat up, right? Everybody from Vaughn Miller to Philip Lindsay to Cortland Sutton to their young quarterback, Drew Locke. And uh, they have brought in... Bortle service, okay? It's going to be Blake Bortles coming on, and he signed with the Denver Broncos yesterday. Remember, they toyed with Blake Bortles in the past. You know, Elway has a soft spot, it looks like, for Bortles. They thought about him previously. They're saying Drew Locke is going to miss around a month, so it's not going to be Jeff Driscoll, I don't think, but they bring in Blake Bortles. What do you think here? I mean, is Driscoll still going to start this week? Is Blake Bortles, you know, is this a great opportunity for him to kind of reclaim his career? Um, I think Driscoll starts this week. You can see yeah. the excitement, right, about this uh, quarterback room right off the bat. Uh, I think Driscoll will start this week. I've said uh, that I think the Bucks are going to roll that team. I think that then will open right. up the opportunity for Bortles to play. I expect nothing different. 
from Blake Bortles than what we've seen from him throughout his career. And we're just going to be in waiting until Drew Locke is healthy. All right. Um, so what does that mean for the Denver Broncos? Do you think the Broncos go 0-4 in the next month because of the Driscoll-Bortles uh, combination? You're like This is a team, Kev, that... You know, some people thought we're a fringe playoff contender, right? So what what does it mean now for them? It sounds, you know, you've said it yourself, you uh, you wear it on your face. You're not thoroughly thrilled or excited or inspired by this Denver quarterback room. Like, are the Broncos done for the season? So if you take a look at their schedule up until week eight, which is when their bye week is, they host the okay. Tampa Bay Bucks. We've got them as six-point yeah. dogs. They travel to the Jets for Thursday night football. Thursday night, the road, yeah. So that's not the easiest game that people will probably – that's already a game I want to bet the Jets in. Give me a look ahead line if you would. Especially At if New that's England. like Blake Bortles' first game, right? <laughs> with, yeah. Starting with the team too, yeah. Right. Then they go at New England. Not that's easy. probably going to be – I mean, it could be close to double-digit dogs, especially if they lose to the Jets. Then they're going to host the Dolphins. Who knows? They might be playing two or Tonga Vailoa by that point. And then they're going to play the Kansas City Chiefs at home. So if Drew Locke and Cortland Sutton and Von Miller yeah. were available, this was going to be a tough stretch. None of those players are available. A.J. Boye also not AJ available. A.J. Boye so as well, yeah. This is the type of stretch here for this team that it's not disrespectful to say they'll be 1-6 after seven weeks. It might be giving this team a bit of a credit that they would be 1-6. Could they pull off an upset and surprise? Sure. I would tell you then they probably need to win this game against Tampa Bay this week. All right, fair enough. Melvin Gordon could get a whole lot more of the pie if they become a little bit more run-heavy because of this. He's a name to know. And also, K.J. Hamler, wide receiver out of Penn State with these injuries to the wide receiver core, could be a name on your waiver wire. I think it's worth the look if you want. We got more NFL news and notes when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back here to the early line and to the grid on SportsGrid. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh holding you down on a Wednesday morning here on the early line. Kev, we talked about Blake Bortles, right? And and, and we've had off-air conversations about kind of uh, the quarterback market, both in the offseason and right now. Well, you know, they've got a decision in Los Angeles, right? And there's always a decision. Uh, when you have a rookie quarterback, we've been talking about it. Remember, there was like, oh, when will Tua Tagovailoa get the baton handed to him, right? Uh, Joe Burrow right there in week one. And I think the Chargers now have a very interesting conversation on their hands. Terod yeah. Taylor had a bad reaction, right? And he couldn't go last week. So at short notice, Justin Herbert gets in there and quite frankly, by all accounts, looks good. The offense looks more dynamic. They push the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, to the brink, right? But then everyone's like, oh, let the Herbert era begin. Except for Anthony Lynn, right? And he's going, no, Terod is still our quarterback when he is 100%. There's reasons that Herbert was a backup. You know, it doesn't seem like either he didn't see 
what Herbert did on Sunday or, and to be quite yeah. honest, what I think is more likely that, and I'm kind of maybe okay with what Lynn is saying, maybe he does see a lot more of what Herbert does, you know, like in practice per se. And this was a last minute switch. And maybe if, you know, their opponent next week has a whole week to prepare for Herbert, it could look dramatically different. I don't know. What I do know is that Herbert did looked really good in week two against the Chiefs. But somehow his head coach is still saying we are not handing him the keys to the car just yet. What do you think about that decision? What do you think is behind it? What would you do if you were Anthony Lynn? Let's start Justin Herbert. Now, if Anthony Lynn, right, I don't want to say no, he knows more than us, right? Basically, though, I would think the idea if the idea is that what Justin Herbert did was a fluke, I mean, that's out that's an outrageous move from Anthony Lynn that during practice, he's watched these two quarterbacks and he saw Justin Herbert do what he did and went, nah, it's not real. I mean, that, that like that is an unacceptable reason to not play Justin Herbert. That is his reason. (laughs) You know, he's like, he's a backup for a reason, you know? I think it's because there's still things he has to work on. Like, that's the win quote. But the thing is, yeah, like, the thing is, though, he can do that while quarterbacking this team as evidence by what he just did. Like, there's there's no real argument at this point for Tyrod Taylor. There, there just isn't, right? You can't say Justin Herbert isn't ready. He literally wasn't ready and went out there and had the defending champs on the ropes and, and looked, p- point blank period, better than Tyrod Taylor did against a defense that's terrible. And I legitimately had to come on this beautiful show and waste people's time by saying, do we think the Bengals defense got better? And it took the Browns <clears throat> like a quarter to be like, no, absolutely not. What are you, crazy? Like that because it's not any better. But Tyrod had us wondering that. But the reality is the same reason you and I thought there was a good chance Tyrod started all 16 games, not because of his talent, because Anthony Lynn loves this guy. Because Anthony right. Lynn has wanted to give this guy a chance to be a starting quarterback. And Since he Buffalo. gave him that chance. And then he got hurt. And then the guy they drafted at six came in and looked like a guy that they drafted at six. This isn't hard. It's not that hard. Okay, fair enough. And and again, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it sounds like Anthony Lynn does. You know what I mean, Kev? So that's why we're still having this conversation. Let me ask you two things that, again, I, Dane Martinez, is not necessarily advocating for, but could be in the mind of the Chargers. One. The difference of an NFL team having a week to prepare for Justin Herbert could make him look a lot worse. That's thesis number one, right? Number two, when you say he looked great and all that stuff, I don't disagree with you, but there is mm-hmm. one number that's dramatically different. Tara Taylor, 1-0. and Justin Herbert, 0-1. Dane? Yeah. Dane? Yeah, come on now. What? What? In one spot they were two and a half point favorites and won by three. In the other spot they were eight and a half point dogs and pushed the Kansas City Chiefs to overtime. I mean, they're just yep. not the same thing. Now I understand you're playing devil's advocate, but if if Anthony Lynn said what you just said, fire him on the spot. On the spot. Hey, that means you're not watching the game. That means you're not taking in the game. Goodbye. And I will make this point. Okay, if the if the worry is 
oh, well, they're going to have more time to prepare for Justin Herbert and it might yeah. look worse. Well, first, like, yeah. that's going to happen, though. That's going to happen. Like, teams are going to have more time to prepare for, for a guy. But you know what defense I take my hand at? The Carolina Panthers, who have allowed 30-plus in both games and looks like nothing will be stopping that, where he could get a nice confidence boost. I mean, look, like, this team has the potential to move to, you know, two and one here, stay competitive. We, we've talked earlier about the Broncos yes. not looking great. The Raiders yes. have a very difficult matchup this week going to New yeah. England. This is a very important yeah. game. And the idea that we're just going to go with Tyra, this is very Hugh Jackson-esque from Anthony Lynn. And Hugh Jackson did the same thing with Tyrod Taylor. All right, fair enough. And again, remember what I said before all this. Dane Martinez is not necessarily advocating for that, but I do believe that that's in the mind of Anthony Lynn. So let me ask you this. You're right. At one point, we said Toronto start 16 games, right? Over under what? Week five? Like when when does the baton get passed then? <laughs> that's the problem, though, is is I think the over under should be set at week two and a half. At now? And I don't, <laughs> like right now? <laughs> But I don't like this. I'll, I'll make. I'll say this. I don't think if the Chargers win the game, Anthony Lynn's tone changes one bit. He has no interest in taking this job away from Tyrod Taylor until he absolutely has to. And I'm interested, actually. I'm going to pull it up quickly here to see what this yeah. team's schedule looks like to try and get a sense of you know what's where that might happen. Because here's the interesting yeah. thing: so they play Carolina this week, and maybe. I'll give Anthony Lynn this. They can. They can win the game. following two games at Tampa Bay, at New Orleans. But the games that follow that stretch, home versus the Jets, at the Dolphins, home versus the Jags, home versus the Raiders, bye week at Denver, a lot more winnable games. So if Anthony Lynn is actually saying, no, 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 do Carolina, that's fine. Tampa Bay, Mm. New Orleans, that's tight. Then we can have more winnable games. Then it opens here's up. My thing. Here's my thing, though, right? Tampa Bay, New Orleans, tough games. We're not supposed to be punting games here. I don't just send Tyrod out. Now we're going to lose either way. We'll have Tyrod, Tyrod look bad. Like, and yeah. it just, it's also very weird because if he starts Herbert, right, say against Carolina, and then they lose, then he'd probably bench him for, you know what? Like, yeah, they can't go back and forth, right? And that's what Hugh Jackson did with Deshaun Kaiser. Right, and that's how Deshaun Kaiser's career got absolutely. And that's why I think, though, with the schedule, as you talked about it, right? Yeah, those two games that are tough, right? The Tampa one and what have you. But there's mm -hmm. a, it's very plausible, especially with that Chargers defense. Okay, that they're above five hundred after that like six game stretch you talked about, right? From and then yeah, I mean, look, they're gonna play seven games from now until week nine. They're yeah. going to be favored. They can't go in, four and three in those. Well, they're going to be favored in five of them. Great, I even more to the point. Miami. Then, if the I, Chargers are six and three or five and four, do they make the switch? If Tarod is, if Tarod goes three and two in the next five games, do they make the switch? No, but that's, he doesn't want to make the switch. At like he, the only way he makes the switch is if they drop a home game to the Jags. But the problem yeah. is, you will have dropped a home game to the Jags to get to the point to make the switch again. Tyrod got a win under his belt, looking wildly unimpressive at in Cincinnati. 
So I would not guarantee you that he is going to beat the teams he's supposed to beat. I feel real good he's not going to beat the Bucks or the Saints in Tampa Bay and in New Orleans. All right, well, we'll see. There's something that Anthony Lynn is seeing that we are not. And whether that's where he's seeing it in practice, whether that's his fondness for Tarad, we shall see. But this is going to be a situation that we have to continue to monitor. Kev, another situation I want to monitor is the Los Angeles Rams backfield. Okay, just to move on here, we've got plenty of time to talk about Tarad. This is going to be a story throughout the year. But I do want to talk about this Rams backfield, okay? Because, listen, uh, Malcolm Brown gets banged up with the finger. He's now expected to play. Cam Akers is day-to-day with the ribs. But people saw Daryl Henderson have a good game, 12 carries and 81 yards, right, in week three. Talk to me about how you think this shakes out when the dust, when the dust settles. Henderson was a big waiver ad, but, you know, do you think this just goes right back to a kind of committee? Does this go right back to the hot rookie acres when he's there? How do you think this is going to shake out? Yeah, I think Henderson was filling in for some banged up running backs. And did he I think earn a piece though? I mean, he already had a he already had a he had a slice. He had a slice. Don't fill yourself okay. up, pal. Okay? Don't get used to Does it. Does his slice grow? While these guys are banged up, yes. But when they're back okay. to healthy, he goes back, I believe, to comfortably the third guy. Okay. For me, the real question that looms for this Rams backfield for fantasy players and props market players is the plan for Sean McVay to have a 40-40-20 backfield all season long? Or is it yeah. to get to a point where maybe 45-45-10 is the better way to view it. But is the plan to get to a point where Cam Akers is at a 65% range and Malcolm Brown and Henderson are just picking up the pieces? Yeah, I think, you know, like, that would be their hope, Kev, right? Because in that scenario, it means Cam Akers is performing at the level of what their expectations were. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think there's a universe where, you know, there's also the term and, you know, this Kev, like the hot hand. Right. So while I think they want Cam Akers to be the one who grows in his share of the pie. Right. I believe they're open to like if Daryl Henderson starts to look really good or if Malcolm Brown starts to look really good. I think they're open to allowing the other two to kind of like seize the proverbial brass ring as well, if their play warrants it, you know? Like I think their leading choice would be Cam Akers doing that. But if he struggles to do so and one of the other ones starts to perform, then I think they'll go with that behind what you and I have both said looks to be a much more physical offensive line in L.A. I think my biggest takeaway is we were all justified to be confused by them yeah. drafting Cam Akers. I mean, this makes yeah, no sense. True. Like, they saw what happened to it, Gurley. It was their first pick of the draft. You had just spent draft capital on Henderson. We'd seen Malcolm Brown step up before. I mean, Dane, they're going to enter, let's say, this game against Buffalo with the Brown-Henderson option to backfield. The spread's not moving a bit. You no. liking or disliking the Rams in that game has nothing to do with Cam Akers' Correct. availability. Correct. And this is a team that's competing in the toughest division in football. And don't tell me at the 52nd overall spot, you couldn't have got a player that was more likely to be an impact difference maker, right? At a, at a more, let's just call it what it is, 
valuable position yeah. than Cam Akers, who I like, think is talented, and is the most talented back in this backfield, who you actually ultimately selected. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And remember, Kev, one of our narratives and thesis is thesi all year long has been around the way teams are now looking to build that running back room. Is it still a luxury pick in the NFL? I think the jury is still out on that. Remember, watch those practice reports. Big time names may trend in positive or negative directions. A.J. Brown for the Titans, Devontae Adams for the Packers. We'll keep an eye out on all of this. More NFL talk with the early line when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody, right here on to the early line on Sports Grid. Dave Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And Kev, you know, in the gambling world, we have like bad beats all the time, torn tickets, the darn hook happens all the time. Well, we have that in the fantasy world as well. I call it Game of Inches, Kev. And boy, you know, people sometimes they send me these things all the time. I used to do it on Fantasy Freestyle. And I wanted to show you two that I thought were especially bad from last week and get your thoughts on it. All right, Kev? So here we go. Let's put up the graphic. Okay, we've got two matchups. Check this one out. In one, okay, what you have here is uh, Lamar. uh, There you go. We have him up. I want to show you first one. The one on the uh, left side, if you see the team that won by less than a point had Alvin Kamara on it. You know about garbage time, right? Kev, but literally the last play of the week in a meaningless drive was a little dump off to Alvin Kamara. And that last play of the week was the winning margin for that team on the left side. That's option A. Pretty bad. You wait all week, literally the last play of the game. But look at the one on the right. Kev, we got 142.8 to 142.7. Okay, Kev, the team that lost, their quarterback, amazing, right? Lamar Jackson. Good old Lamar Jackson versus Patty Mahomes matchup in fantasy. Wow, that's amazing. Um, But the team lost by a tenth of a point, Kev. If you look at the box score or the game script of the Ravens game, the last three plays of the game, Lamar Jackson, kneel down, minus one yard. Lamar Jackson, kneel down, minus one yard. Lamar Jackson, kneel down, minus one yard. That adds up to minus three-tenths of a point. And Kev... That's enough to change the margin of victory. The Lamar Jackson kneel downs enough. So what would you hate more, Kev, if these were your teams? Having your star quarterbacks kneel downs be the difference or literally staying up on Monday Night Football, having the lead the entire time until literally the last play of the week on a meaningless dump down against prevent defense banging you out, which is worse in your opinion? I think the Kamara one. Just because, who knows, okay. we could have had Sunday night football action that might have, you know, still changed things. I mean, it was legitimately the last. And he already had such a monster. Like, you went into that matchup. Yeah. Like, ah, what is he, he going to score, 33.8? Yep. And he does. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. So, if you got beat in week two, it probably wasn't as bad as that. All right? Our number two of the early line is coming up next. If you got a game of inches, hit us up. Spitting speeds at the Kevin Walsh. At least you get some shine. Maybe that's a silver lining. Hour two is up next. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.